What is up, everybody? Welcome back to First Down Rundown. We are your two hosts. I'm Hayden Vozar. He's Matt Vozar. Today is Tuesday, February 15th. Happy late Valentine's Day to everybody out there who loves us and we love you. It's the Tuesday after the Super Bowl. The Rams came out on top, so we have a Super Bowl champion. Unfortunately, it is the end of the football season, so we don't have any any kind of football from here until like late August in preseason. So uh, that's going to suck, but we, but we'll still have some, some football topics and everything like that in the future with draft coming up, free agency and everything like that. Uh, and, and today we're going to be reviewing the Super Bowl. So we've got some Super Bowl talk today as well, um, or I guess football talk today. And then we've got some PGA talk. We're going to go over the waste management Phoenix open um, and then kind of preview a little bit of the upcoming, upcoming tournament this weekend. And then we've got our fun segment, which is we were going to do a year wrong man of the week, but Matt had a better idea and we're going to do like a little March madness draft. So we'll explain what the rules are when it comes time to do the fun, the fun segment. But um, yeah, it's, it's kind of how it sounds. It's a March madness draft. We're going to be picking um, some teams that we think will go far. So yes. And there's going to be a method to the madness there because it's, that's how we do it. So, um, and then we might round out the show with some Olympic talk towards the end, just kind of some stuff that we've seen over the past couple of days. If we've been watching it, I know I have, I don't really know about Matt, but, um, but we might get to that. We might not just kind of depends where we're at in terms of timing, Matt, how are you? Yes. Uh, to go back on the previous statement, the football season is over. There will be no football played. However, there's always stuff to talk about with football. So that is the good news. We got college football. We got pro football. There's always things uh, to talk about. Um, and so that's that's the exciting thing. Uh, but the other exciting thing is that, yes, it is sad that the football season's over. But uh, here on the First Time Rundown podcast, we, you know, we give you everything. Right. We get, we get to we get into all the stuff that everybody else doesn't. Um, and so that's why it is imperative that everybody continues to listen um, and because, you know, because we're going to be here. And, and even if you don't, that's that's kind of the other thing about this is like my entire life is following sports. Right. So even if you don't aren't like that, which many people aren't like that, um, then come here. Get your info. Talk about it with other people, right? That's what we're here for. That's what we're doing. So, so that's that's kind of the 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 other kind of reason why, um, you know, we we do what we do in terms of having topics and sports and all this other stuff is that, you know, it's easy to just talk about football for an hour, uh, but you know, but but it's it's uh, nobody's really talking about the MLB lockout in the middle of you know the middle of February. So, um, you know, so that that that's the point. That's what that's what we're doing. However, obviously, um, you know, to kind of get back to the football stuff. We had the biggest game in football this past weekend, um, and it was the Rams defeating the Bengals 23 to 20. Um, I don't know. I mean, you know, pretty much, I, I guess kind of we're just going to get some general thoughts. We didn't really have necessarily a, you know, a, a specific kind of, um, you know, set of topics where, you know, we're kind of reading from a script here. But I think that in general, it was it was a, it was a good game. It was a good game. I'm going to say that um, it was definitely it was underwhelming at times. It was fast at some points it was slow at other points uh it was um you know it it just it seemed like a very it seemed like uh, kind of like a like a I would say it seemed more like a primetime game than the Super Bowl I don't know it just kind of felt more uh maybe that was just because of the teams that were playing it just felt a little bit pedestrian um and then even in some points it was a little bit underwhelming in terms of just the excitement or the you know the the on-field antics and all that stuff um 
but I think that the Rams deserve credit for what they did in, in, in winning the game. Um, and I think that kind of the, the, the going off point of that and, and, and what's kind of been established in the couple of days since, uh, you know, since the game is over. And obviously, you know, if you're listening to this, you've listened to ESPN, you've listened to other podcasts or whatever, and everybody's already kind of offered their, their takes on it, or at least you've gotten some sort of kind of, um, intake of, of, uh, you know, information and, and kind of, you know, coverage and whatever. Um, I think that the moral of the story here is that realistically, the, I think the Bengals outplayed the Rams. I mean, and, and this is backed up by statistics. The Bengals outgained the Rams on a per play basis. They also won the turnover battle. You know, the Rams had two turnovers, the, the Bengals had none um, and they still lost the game. And so that I think just, kind of summarizes for me very, very big picture here, how the game went and the fact that despite all of that, the Rams still were able to win. I mean, they essentially went in the, the entire third quarter. That's kind of another, you know, storyline coming out of this is Sean McVay. Like, what was he doing with that play calling? You know, they were running for one, two yards of pop then thrown on third down incomplete punt. Right. And it's like, you know, what do you, so, but despite all of that, they, they still won the game and they won the Super Bowl and they were, you know, they were, uh, you know, they were the better team, obviously. But I think that really what this it could have been technically a, a pretty big blowout, in my opinion. I mean, you know, you know, if, if they get a couple more stops on those random play, those, you know, the kind of longer plays that the Bengals had, if they if they capitalize on a lot more of the drives that ended kind of shortly for the, you know, for them, for the Rams, um, they definitely would have scored more touchdowns and, and it definitely wouldn't have been as close of a game. Uh, they, they wouldn't have really have had to kind of make that last drive uh, count in terms of getting a touchdown there. But I think that's the point of emphasis too, is the fact that, you know, despite kind of, you know, dominating the first half and then pretty much giving the game away, it seemed like in the second half, they pulled together a drive for the ages when it mattered most. And Matt Stafford hooked up with Cooper cup, the entire last drive of the game, they went down, they got a bunch of, uh, you know, calls against the Bengals that kind of helped out the Rams there on the, on the final drive in the last kind of 10, 20 yards there. But nonetheless, um, they, uh, you know, they, they, they made the plays they needed to make and they won the game on that last drive. And so that's, I think that kind of just summarizes everything is like, essentially the Rams were outplayed, but they still had the players and the talent uh, and, and, you know, and the championship mentality enough to actually just go down and do it and win the game. And so I think they deserve all the credit in the world for it. It would have been a way bigger story if the Bengals won. That's, that's the kind of the funny thing too, is like, you know, we kept saying the right, the Rams have basically no fans. They had no fans at, you know, all their home playoff games, NFC championship. They, it seemed like they were outmatched even to the Cincinnati Bengal fans during the Super Bowl itself. Um, and, you know, it's just kind of like, okay, the Rams won the Super Bowl. And it's not, they just don't have enough of a fan base. It's not as big of a storyline to kind of garner the attention of the whole world and have it be this crazy story. Whereas you have the Bengals, you know, that would have been amazing, right? Insane, because you have all the stuff with Joe Burrow. And everything. So, so that's kind of where I definitely want to give the Rams credit for the game that they played because both teams did not play their best game as I've kind of outlined here. And that's just a fact. Um, but the, I think the better team won and that's, you know, I predicted the Rams. We both predicted the Rams to win. We both predicted a close game. Um, that's exactly what it was. And they won the close game and they did what they did when it mattered. Um, and so those are kind of my general thoughts. We can, you know, we'll get into more stuff later, but just, just kind of want to hear what Hayden thinks too, for kind of general sense. Yeah, I think a lot of people were a little bit high on the Bengals coming into this game. And that, and that, that's understandable because everybody likes the 
impossible hero or like, you know, the, the, the unpredictable nature of the Bengals making it to the Super Bowl. I understand that, but for me, like even, even before the game, I, you guys heard it from me on the podcast when we, when we previewed the Super Bowl, which was last Tuesday, you guys, you guys heard it from me. I mean, I said that I didn't think that the Bengals were really going to match up that well against the Rams. And um, I, I think that the one thing on the Bengals that, really is faulty, which is their offensive line that really showed towards the end there. Um, it, it even showed like towards the middle of the game, but I mean, towards the end when, when uh, Aaron Donald got that set or it was like almost a sack, but he forced an incompletion because Joe Burrow kind of just like flinged it out of his hand on that fourth and one that basically sealed the game. Um, it, it, it like the, the offensive line struggles for the Bengals really showed through there and they showed through it at, at other points during the game. Now you could say the same thing for, the Rams, like the Rams offensive line didn't really look too good either kind of in that third quarter realm where Matthew Stafford was kind of getting pressured a lot. And um, it, it wasn't even really like he was getting pressured quick. It was just that I think that what the Bengals were doing was they were playing really, really good uh, defense in the secondary. And then, so that just gave the, their defensive line a, a lot of time basically to get to, to get to Matthew Stafford and Matthew Stafford's not really the scramble type QB. So he would kind of just sit in the pocket there and then, he would wait for like three or four seconds, wouldn't really see anything. And then he would start to panic. And then by the time he started to panic, he was basically, you know, already being tackled or sacked. So I think that that was coming into the game. I don't, I don't really even know if I mentioned it on our Super Bowl preview ep- episode, but I think that that was kind of where the game was going to, where, where like the, the, the big decision of the game was going to be made was in the trenches the Rams D line against against the Bengals O line, and I think it really kind of showed through. Now, again, like Matt said, the Bengals technically beat out the Rams in like every category st- statistically, which is really weird. I didn't even really know that, um, and it didn't really. I guess it kind of did seem like it because they had a couple big plays with Jamar Chase, um, and and I think it was yeah T Higgins on that faulty touchdown, which we'll probably get into as well um, coming up here in a little bit, but. Yeah, I, I, I kind of have the same stance as Matt here um, where I'm just going to say that the Rams did deserve it. They were the best team in the NFL. They look like it sometimes during during the regular season, sometimes not. We see that a lot of times with Super Bowl with Super Bowl winning teams. You can't be perfect throughout the whole season. And so I think what a lot of people kind of aren't giving aren't giving them credit for is the fact that they were consistent for the most part um, throughout the whole season. And obviously in the playoffs, they played almost perfectly. Um, And, and, you know, they, they had a little, like, I think it was, I think it was our dad that was saying this actually when we were watching it. And it was that basically like the Rams, they just love to get out to an early lead score about, you know, uh, three touchdowns, maybe like a field goal here and there. And then second half or kind of closer to the fourth quarter, they'll, they just like the coast. They don't really like to, um, you know, they, they don't really like to try to make any big plays in the second half. They like to, they like to play conservative, um, gain their lead early, and then kind of just coast for the rest of the game, which is exactly what they started doing in, in the Super Bowl, which I think, again, it's it's very characteristic of the Rams. And I'm surprised that the Bengals didn't really – maybe the Bengals did catch on to that and maybe they kind of geared their, their scheme, their second-half scheme towards that in some way because, as we saw in the, you know, the first play of the second half, they took a shot, a big shot, right, to, to T. Higgins, and it worked. So maybe they kind of knew that that was coming, and, and they and they tried to 
exploit that, which it turned out to work. But again, um, it was just, you know, the Rams doing something at the end of the game, scoring that last that um, that touchdown on their last drive with about a minute 30 left. That's not really characteristic of them, but they but they were able to show that they aren't just a, a first half team and they, they aren't just a team that likes to coast and kind of gets into trouble late in the game. Um, and, you know, they, they they showed that they couldn't that they were able to get out of that hole is what I'm trying to say. Um, you know, they, they never got stuck in that hole at any point in the playoffs. They were able to kind of hold a lead against especially against the Buccaneers. They were able to hold that lead towards the end there. Um and somehow I have no idea how, but, uh, but yeah, it was, it was, a, it was a really good game. Uh, again, it was kind of second half was kind of iffy, but I'm, I'm happy for the Rams. And I think that, yeah, I, I was kind of rooting for the Rams too. I, I wasn't really like everybody else in America who's, who was rooting for the Bengals. I just, I wanted, I wanted a lot of players on the Rams to win. So that's, um, that's, that's my argument here, but uh, I'm probably going to hand it back over to Matt to kind of go in in depth with some stuff if he wants to get into specifics and stuff. Yeah. So the first thing I wanted to bring up was the officiating, which has been a a very much talked about kind of phenomenon here since the game ended. And, And a lot of that is because, it's almost ironic that there were no, well, first of all, just some general stats, right? So in the first 58 minutes of the game, which again, there's 68, there's 60 minutes total in a game in the first 58 minutes, there were four penalties called total in the last two minutes. I think there was, well, I think it was only two, both both the ones on the Bengals that were, you know, obviously resulted in automatic first downs for the Rams, whatever. So anyway, I think the the main thing that people are kind of talking about here when it comes to penalties and officiating overall is is just the disparity in in where the refs were calling penalties. Now, clearly, if you're going to have four penalties in 58, I think that like I was I think it was on part of my take this morning. It was like in out of out of like every game for the last like 20 years or 22 years, like every game, like NFL postseason, regular season, everything in, you know, it's one of like 10 games that last 22 years to have, you know, four penalties or fewer in the, in the first 58 minutes of the game. And it's like, that clearly means that the refs were letting them play, which is good. I think that is kind of the prevailing theory when it comes to we're arguing about the refs, what the calls should have been, whether there were missed calls, whether there were too many calls. Um, that, that really is, is kind of what you're, 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 most sports fans are going to say, especially when it comes to big games like this, you want fair and equal officiating and the best way to do that. The most efficient ways to do that is to really just not call anything, right? Because inevitably you're going to get one blatant, you know, pass interference call, whether it be defensive pass interference or offensive pass interference, as we saw, you know, with the T Higgins and Jalen Ramsey play that ended up in a 75 yard touchdown for the Bengals. You're going to get blatantly missed calls like that. But you're going to get calls that maybe would have been called in other times that now the refs are thinking, okay, we messed up on one of those. We're going to hold off on this, right? I'm sure that there were offensive, like, I don't even think there was an offensive holding call the entire game, except for that one, there was that one play. And that's what I'm thinking about. The extra two penalties was the offsetting play, yeah. which where I think, you know, Stafford missed the guy or whatever, whatever. Um, it was DPI and it was offensive holding. And so it was like, besides that, there was no offensive holding calls, which again, you love to see as a fan. And and most Super Bowls are like this, where the refs don't make it about themselves, thankfully. Um, and the game is the game and whatever, ha- whatever play happens, happens. Um, but, but I think that 
we kind of have to like you can't you can't be on both sides of the argument here where you a lot of what happened in the game in terms of just the just the refs letting him play and not calling very many penalties you can't be in favor of that but then also you know dislike the the fact that they're calling a bunch of penalties or, or that or that you know they're also missing calls later in the game too because that's kind of the thing that ended up you know being the problem here is a lot of people are saying like you you know no, there were no calls at the beginning of the game and then you know obviously most of the most of it being Cincinnati fans are saying you know there were two there was a defensive holding and then a defensive pass interference that both gave you know gave the Rams an automatic first down inside the 20 yard line both times and obviously led to the led to the game winning touchdown but like, like for the most part, I think that the officiating was totally fair. I think that obviously the refs missed that offensive pass interference on T Higgins. And to some extent, like in the way that the play, I don't want to dig too deep into this, but the way that kind of the, the their bodies were moving and like physics wise and stuff, Ramsey was kind of already falling down yeah. and the ball was thrown behind Higgins, which essentially is, and, and this is a strategy that many quarterbacks, uh, you know, employ is, you know, if you're going, if you're throwing up a 50, 50 ball and you don't know who's going to come down with it, throw it behind your receiver back shoulder. And that way, when they're looking up at the ball and they're going to catch it, the defensive back who probably doesn't have his eye on the ball is just going to ram your guy over or throw him and you'll get an automatic defensive pass interference spot of the foul, um, you know, and, and get, you know, you could gain, you know, possibly half the field uh, in, in that type of circumstance. And so I think that's probably at the end of the day, that's probably what more of what Joe Burrow was trying to do, but it ended up backfiring in the sense that or could have backfired in the sense that like, Jalen Ramsey was, I think already the momentum was carrying him forward and he was already kind of falling down in a, to a, to a point where like T Higgins was almost expecting Ramsey to fall into him to cause kind of the, the defensive pass interference. And so T Higgins kind of, you know, wanting to bring on the penalty kind of wrapped his arms around Ramsey and then just kind of, you know, kind of basically just helped him, you know, kind of get to the ground as, as which he was kind of already going. So I think that obviously, you know, and, in most cases, like you can say that, and that's kind of what I'm saying is like that it maybe shouldn't have been a penalty because of the way that Ramsey was kind of already, like it, it didn't seem like he would have had a chance to even look back at the ball or, or make a play on the ball or the receiver. Um, but you know, Higgins in, in what he did do did grab his face mask. And so at that point, you know, they're, they're Ramsey, Jalen Ramsey being one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, like would have made a play on the ball if he could. And I think that, you know, T Higgins obviously uh, cannot kind of impede him from doing so. And so with that, like that is the first play of the second half, the first play, right. You had the touchback and then the very next play, um, you know, with 15 minutes still on the clock is a 75 yard touchdown. And like that completely set the tone. Like Hayden was talking about, you know, the Rams get out to this big lead in the first half, they're up 13, three, and then the Bengals come back. And before you know it, it's, it's 20 to 13, right? So the Bengals have scored 17 unanswered points at this point. And, and you're thinking about like, dang, like, you know, this, this is, this is crazy, uh, crazy momentum swing here. And it's like, but it couldn't have been a momentum swing. It could have very possibly been, uh, you know, instead of a 75 yard play for the offense for Cincinnati, it could have been a negative 15 yard play, in which case, you know, I'll take the Rams defense over to, over to Cincinnati Bengals going 80, you know, 90 yards down the field. Um, you know, so, so that's kind of where I'm, I'm going on. This is like, there's so many individual seconds of this game that you can point to and say, that's wrong. Or this should have been, this should have been, you know, the opposite call or whatever. But I think that if you're looking at it holistically, 
you know, the Bengals got a touchdown on a call that wasn't made that the Rams had a penalty on. And then the Rams got a touchdown on a, you know, on a defensive call that maybe wasn't that great or multiple calls, but it's like, either way, both teams scored a touchdown based on the result of these penalties. Right. So like that, I, I think kind of is where I'm landing on it is like, it ended up being fair in my mind at the end of the day, just because like it didn't really change the outcome because as a result of both penalties or lack thereof, um, you know, both teams scored a touchdown. So like the Bengals shouldn't have gotten that touchdown and they did, right? The Rams shouldn't have gotten that touchdown and they did. If you want to call it from kind of the rest perspective of like the rest, you know, they missed the penalty on Jalen Ramsey. Well, they shouldn't have called the penalty on, you know, on Logan Wilson. Well, in that case, then, okay, let's just subtract both. Let's just subtract seven points from both teams. And also the Rams were in field goal range. The Bengals weren't. So the Rams probably would have gotten a field goal out of that anyway. So, you know, subtracting 17, seven points from both teams, you know, the Rams still end up with the victory. So that's kind of my view on this whole officiating thing is I can see where Bengals fans are upset because it was just all front loaded at the end of the game where it seemed like every call was going against you and it gave the Rams so many more opportunities. But at the same time, you know, seven points of the 13 that you scored more than half of your points were on a play that you shouldn't have even had to begin with. So, uh, so that's kind of my thoughts on it. Yeah. I think, I think that was a great explanation of everything. And I, I totally agree with that. Is that like, you if you subtract if you literally just subtract a touchdown from each score it's it's still going to come out to be the rams on top by 3 and like matt said probably even like 6 because rams are in field goal range so yeah that's i'm kind of glad that that there's that kind of that dynamic there because i would have been i would have been a little bit annoyed if people were complaining about and people still are complaining about the the Rams getting, you know, a, a stupid call there at the end, which is, yeah, that's valid. That that one pass interference or one holding call wasn't a holding call on that on that line. I forget what the linebacker's name is, but um, Logan Wilson. Yeah. Yes, exactly. But that that wasn't a holding call at all or it, sh- it shouldn't have been. But again, there should have been a call on that big Bengals touchdown. And there wasn't. So, yeah, that's. Enough of that talk. Um, and one other thing that I w- kind of wanted to bring up was the and this is this is a, a discussion about the Super Bowl MVP. Now, this was a little bit confusing to me. I thought um, I thought for sure Matthew Stafford was going to win it. I even turned off the Super Bowl and I started watching the Olympics because I was like, OK, I'm not going to watch the rest of this because I know who's going to win the MVP and blah, blah, blah. But. I ended up checking my phone and I got, I think I got a bleacher report or something like that, that said that Cooper cup won the, the Super Bowl MVP. And I was like, what? <laughs> I mean, I understand, I understand where they're coming from. And it's that he scored two touchdowns, one being the game ceiling touchdown that, you know, kind of capped off an incredible season. Yay for him. And I think that's one of the reasons why um, I think that's one of the reasons why Cooper cup won the Super Bowl MVP is because I think that the NFL or whoever votes for the Super Bowl MVP, I don't even know how that's picked, um, but whoever does that kind of voting, I think they not like felt bad, but I think it was more of a pity pick. And that, that sounds, again, that sounds, the wording of that is very extreme. Like it, it sounds like I'm kind of degrading Cooper cup, but I think it was, it was kind of a pity pick because Cooper cup had such a good season. He you know, he, he won the triple crown of in, in the regular season for wide receivers. And he, um, 
he kind of got snubbed out of out of MVP. A lot of people, or I guess some people are kind of arguing that he should have won MVP instead of Aaron Rodgers, who didn't do anything in the playoffs, and yet Cooper Cup did amazing in the playoffs, just like he did in the regular season, if not stepped up his game a little bit from the regular season. So it's just like, I understand that, but again, I think the Super Bowl MVP, Super Bowl MVP award should only be given based on a Super Bowl performance, and Matthew Stafford played almost perfectly like he he had a couple kind of mess ups here and there he held the ball for too long a couple times but like other than that i i don't know what his completion percentage was or what his you know completions to attempts was but i know he had three touchdowns and i know he had a, a lot of yards so it's like that right there and and he's the quarterback you know he he led them on that final drive he basically i mean he did all the work like matt was saying earlier i mean the um the, the Rams backfield couldn't do anything. I think Cam Akers had like over 20 rushes for like 40 something yards. Like that's, I mean, he was, he was averaging two yards per rush. So Matthew's effort had to do everything. And yes, I understand that Cooper cup was a big part of their success in the passing game, but I think that Matthew Stafford, I, I think he should have won it. And again, it's maybe people are happy because it's, you know, it's, somebody different than a quarterback, which I understand, but I think for this one in particular, Matthew Stafford should have won it. And Cooper, I mean, I don't know. It's I, I, again, I I see where people are coming from with the whole Cooper cup um, situation. Also a a cool, a cool stat about Cooper cup is that he, so he won the um, he won the triple crown, which means the, he got the most, uh, most receptions, most receiving yards and most receiving touchdowns um, by, any wide receiver in the regular season. So he got, he won the triple crown. He also won offensive player of the year and he won super Bowl, super bowl MVP, obviously um, all in the same season. And the only other receiver to ever do that, do like win all three of those things throughout his whole career is Jerry Rice. So Cooper cup did, did what Jerry Rice did throughout his whole career in one season, basically, like in terms of accolades, you know, or these specific accolades, obviously Jerry Rice has more Super Bowls, but whatever. Um, so that's like, that's just crazy to think about. Like the only other receiver to ever win all three of those things throughout his whole entire career is Jerry Rice and Cooper cup did it in one season. It's actually, yeah, that when I saw that set, I was like, okay, maybe he, he kind of deserved to win Super Bowl MVP, but I don't know. It's, Again, it's like I'm happy for Cooper Cup, and he he had an amazing season, one of the best seasons by any single NFL player in history. Obviously, I mean, and what better way to do it in you know than when they switch the the regular season from 17 to 18 games? Why not just break every record by a lot, or try at least go for, you know try to break every record by a lot? So, yeah, good for him. Um, I still kind of feel bad that Matthew Stafford didn't get the award, and. Yeah, but I'm I'm also really happy for for Matthew Stafford. Um, obviously because you know first year in LA and or first year out of Detroit and he wins the Super Bowl. That I think that says something about him. And um, yeah, so that's kind of what I was getting at when I first spoke is kind of like this whole idea of the Rams players um, kind of getting their first Super Bowl and it being kind of like a um, a you know, a win for everybody, I think really. And like a a really big win for everybody, you know, Odell, Aaron Donald, Aaron Donald might retire at this point. It's like, that's crazy. He said that he might retire, but I don't know how that's going to pan out. We'll just have to see after they're done partying in Disney in Disneyland. But, uh, but yeah, like that's, it's, it's really great to see all those guys get, get a Super Bowl ring. And um, I, I don't know. It's just, I guess from here, 
we kind of are at the point where we're like, well, where are these teams going to go in the future? Because that was one of my questions when I was kind of thinking about this topic more in depth is that like, I think we, I think there's kind of some, some right answer to where we think the Bengals are going to go and where we think the Rams are going to go. So I'm going to let Matt kind of start off this, this little subtopic, I guess, if you will, in the question of, yeah, like where, where we think that the Bengals are going to go next season. And I'm talking about like next season. I'm not even really talking about future, future. I'm talking about next season. Like what, where do we think that both of these teams will land? Um, I'm not going to talk about that. I need to talk about this MVP thing. Okay. It was disgusting that Cooper Cup won the NFL MVP or the Super Bowl MVP. Are you kidding me? Now, I am biased because I had as one of my locks of the week uh, any quarterback to win the Super Bowl MVP at minus 200. And I, how, like, wh- what? Are you kidding? I get it. As Hayden mentioned, he had a great season. It was historic. I, I understand all of that. He deserves to be recognized for the amazing season that he had. But and he, but he didn't have that great of a Super Bowl. He caught yeah. all the passes in the fourth quarter on their last drive, and he caught the game-winning touchdown. All right. But, like, he didn't really do much until, like, that last drive, I feel like. And and to my, to my point thing, too, like, right. And, and well, kind of Hayden mentioned it, too. It was like Stafford threw three touchdowns. And I'm like... I literally, it's so funny because I, in the same way that Hayden turned off the, uh, turned off the broadcast to watch the Olympics, I was driving home. Cause I, I spent the weekend in Richmond. I was driving back from Northern Virginia. I had like an hour and a half drive and on the way there, I'm like, I'm like, all right, cool. So, you know, I think I'm pretty sure I, I, I didn't even say I was pretty sure. I was like, all right, cool. So I won that bet. Um, and, uh, you know, I just kept on driving. I was thinking about it. Okay. You know, I, I did pretty well. Cause obviously my other lock of the week hit as well under 23 and a half first half. Got a little lucky on that field goal, baby. <laughs> but uh, cash is a cash nonetheless. Anyway, um, I'm like, yeah, that, you know, I won that bet. That's cool. And then I get the I get the Bluetooth phone notification when I'm driving and I see it and I'm just like, I literally like screamed in my car. I was like, what? So again, this is not hate on Cooper Cup, but it's like he didn't now. And, and two, you know, let's just push this from a bettering perspective as well. You have overs, unders for your receptions and your yards and everything. His, his over-under receptions was nine or eight and a half or nine, depending on where you got it. And his over-under for yards was like 106, all right? He went under on his receptions and he went under on his yards. He caught two touchdowns. I get it. It was the game-winning touchdown. He had an amazing season. Okay. But like, he didn't even he didn't even pass the marks that he was projected to get before the game even started. So how does that any any greater of a performance than Matt Stafford who had 285 yards and three touchdowns? Like if Matt Stafford hadn't have played that game, because we saw the running game, the Rams running game was nowhere to be found and yeah. Stafford did it all. That's what Hayden was saying. And so it's like, a lot of it was to cup. I get that. And so clearly like Stafford, if he, when he was like, all right, I gotta go, I gotta go do something here. He knew the person to go to. And, and obviously that's one of the best, you know, he's, he's Cooper cups, the best receiver in the NFL this year. He had a historic, I get it, but it's like, dude, he, he doesn't deserve to win the award just because he caught a game winning touchdown. Like he didn't have a great performance outside of that. Secondarily, the person who I was like kind of scared about and who now even looking back even more, I think should have won it was Aaron Donald, like yeah. undoubtedly this guy had two sacks. Oh, like 
by himself in the Super Bowl and literally won the game for them, right? So when the Rams scored that touchdown, the Bengals have a minute and a half left and they got two timeouts and we're all like, yo, we've seen this story before. Joe Burrow is going to go down and score a touchdown or at least get a field goal to tie it. They have second and one on the 50-yard line. It's second and one, two timeouts left, you know, plenty of time on the clock. They hand the ball to Samaje P. Ryan and Aaron Donald literally like, I was listening to Ryan Rasilla's podcast earlier today. It was like Aaron Donald like was on a different like angle than Samaje Piran. Aaron Donald stuck his arm out and like Samaje Piran just stopped in his tracks because Aaron Donald's arm just like caused him to stop moving. And like he ran for no and again Samaje Piran. No, nobody really knows this. The most interesting fact about Samaje Piran is that he actually broke the he has the record for most rushing yards in a college football game in college football history don't know if you guys remember it all right but it was Ladanian Tomlinson had like 390 something yards at TCU like 15 years ago and then who broke it dude do you remember because it was like a famous running back that broke it like I think I think it was Melvin Gordon yes you're exactly right it was Melvin Gordon broke it had like 404 yards and then literally like and this was like 10 years after Ladanian Tomlinson's record at TCU. And then like literally like two games after Melvin, it's like this, this record has yeah. stood for 10 years and like two games after Melvin Gordon does it. Samaj P. Ryan at Oklahoma, which is like the most air raid of all schools in college football, you know, has like about 408 yards and breaks through. So it's like, that's Samaj P. Ryan. And Donald literally stuck out his arm and just stopped the guy from moving. So it's third and one. All right. What are we going to do? Oh, we're going to, uh, we're going to, you know, or that, sorry, that was third and one um, when he stopped him. Fourth and one, Aaron Donald wrecks the play. And, and it's like, this guy is the reason that the, you know, that the Rams defense were able to hold in there. And it's just like, so of anybody, I, I think that it should have been Aaron Donald. I mean, I think it should have been Matt Stafford, but Aaron Donald secondarily. Um, I just don't agree with the Cooper Cup thing at all. But I don't know. Again, I'm extra salty about it because I lost the bet. Um Again, like I said, I won the first one, 23 and a half. I mean, I knew that was going to happen. Are you kidding me? There was 23 points in the first half, and I bet the end of 23 and a half, so we won the bet. I knew it was going to happen. We knew, we knew Matt Gay, Sam Sam Hecker, or whatever the punter's name is who holds the Johnny ball. Johnny Hecker. Johnny Hecker. He's like, he's like, he gets the ball in his hands, and he starts to spin it, and it comes off his hand like he's like it's a top on a, on a, on a, on a, on a tablecloth. I don't know what I'm saying, but – Anyway, yeah, so that, that's my thoughts on the NFL and the Super Bowl MVP thing. Um, got a little worked up there, but again, it, it, I, don't, I didn't agree with the decision at all. In terms of each of these teams' futures, um, I, I hate to say it, but I'm going to be realistic about this. I don't think the Bengals are going to get to the Super Bowl ever again, like in Joe Burrow's career. Like, I, just because, like, this was such a magical run. So many things needed to go right in order for this to happen. But it's like, you, I don't even think they're going to win their own division. Like it's, or, I think it's going to be uh, like a competition as to like winning their own division for the next like five years. Like you're telling me Lamar Jackson's not going to win more games than Joe Burrow next year at when the Ravens come back fully healthy. Like, are you kidding me? The Steelers, you know, they're, they're going to be better without Ben, ben Roethlisberger, right? They still got a, a great defense down there. And then, you know, Cleveland, yeah, you know, Baker Mayfield kind of sucks, but if he can just play, nobody really wants to play them just because of the athletes and everything. So it's like, that division is tough in and of itself. And then you have the Chiefs and then you have the Bills. The Titans were a one seed. Like what? The Titans were a one seed. And it's like, nobody's getting, so it, it, I think the AFC is just so tough. I mean, you know, the Chargers, the Raiders, they, you know, they both have good teams. So it's like, 
I, I don't see this Bengals run being a, a thing that continues on, which sucks because obviously they deserve to be here. And it was an amazing story and they played their hearts out. And Joe Burrow is obviously a very special talent. Um, so it's a little bit unfortunate that I, I just don't think that they can really kind of replicate this success. Um, and I wish they could, and I wish I had more faith in it, but I, I just, that's, that's my view on being kind of a realist when it comes to just what I'm seeing um, out here on the Ram side of things. The Ram success is dependent upon how many more years Matthew Stafford is going to play. That's, that's kind of my simplified version of it because like they have all the pieces, but we've, it, it has been proven over the last two years that you can have all the pieces, but if you don't have a quarterback, it doesn't matter, all right? We saw last year with the Buccaneers. They clearly had all the pieces when Jameis Winston was still there. They bring in Tom, and they didn't even get to the playoffs. Bring in Tom Brady, win a Super Bowl. Same thing with the Rams. They got to the playoffs last year. They actually won a playoff game in Seattle. Jared Goff had a broken thumb. Lost to the Packers pretty badly in the in the in the uh, in the divisional round. Didn't even get to the NFC Championship this year. You get rid of Jared Goff. You bring in Matt Stafford. Win a Super Bowl. So it's like these last two Super Bowl champions have proven like more than any doubt that like your team can be the greatest ever and have all the athletes and all the first team all pros and everything, but it's completely dependent on your quarterback play and whether they can be consistent and good and proven and talented and everything that comes with that. Um, so I think that, I think that they can still be, uh, they're still a force to be reckoned with. And I think that Sean McVay above anyone else deserves like the most credit for this because, you know, he had to pull everything together. Um, there's stories about how like, you know, all the, he's had even like motivational speakers come and talk to them. He's doing all this other stuff to kind of motivate them. And, and, and you see it every time that a Rams player got interviewed after that Super Bowl, every single one of them was saying, you know, I'm not going to thank God or, or my mom. Like I'm thanking my teammates because we all believed in it from day one. And it's like, we hear the stories about Matt Stafford and Cooper cup, like showing up at 5.00 AM in the facilities every single day of the off season to get to this point. Right. And so like, none of that stuff is going to, you know, is going to be broadcasted like, you know, like, like the no look pass that's going, that's being viral right now that, you know, that Stafford threw, but it's like, you know, the reason that they had such a good drive, the reason that Cooper cup won the Super Bowl MVP is because they showed up and did the work in the early in the offseason when it you know when when nobody else was um so yeah so I think that you know kind of overall again that was a little long-winded but overall expectations like I don't think the Bengals are gonna even I don't even think they're gonna get to the playoffs next year and if they do I don't think it's gonna I don't think they're gonna get very far uh with the Rams I do think that they have a good chance to potentially even repeat if they can kind of bring everyone back here because like they were clearly really good. Um, and so that's going to be interesting kind of going forward. But yeah, I think these teams are definitely headed in, in pretty opposite directions in terms of kind of their future and, and, and kind of where their success is going to lie. Actually going back to the, the Matt Gay thing or the, the, I guess Johnny Hecker hold for the field goal. Um, I actually feel Johnny Hecker's pain because that happened to me one time in high school when I was in my senior year, I actually, I was the holder for like the last I don't know. I something happened to our holder. He like didn't want to hold after the first two games or something. So I started holding for for field goals and everything like that. And it was actually like really fun, but it was also a lot harder than it looks. And that's really easy to do. Um, what what Johnny Hecker did, and you you like almost never see that in the NFL, which you shouldn't because they're professionals. But 
yeah, that it was just kind of funny that that happened. Like the one time that, that happens, of course, it's in favor of Matt's bet, and he hits the twenty three and a half, the under twenty three and a half. So, yeah, that was kind of funny. Um, oh yeah, and by the way, I didn't even I didn't try to throw mine when I when it like dropped when I put, tried to put it down on the ground. I tried to run it and I got tackled. So, <laughs> so I, I ended up not getting the two point conversion, which kind of sucked. Or no, maybe they like I think they called me down because I already had the ball in my hand and I had my knee down. And in high school football, that means that you're down. But I don't, I don't know. It was, it was something like we were like, but I, yeah, I, I tried to get up and run, but I got tackled. So, uh, yeah. And in terms of, I don't know, I, I'm kind of same, same, uh, same wavelength as Matt in terms of where the Bengals and the Rams are going to go from here on out. I, th- I think I'm a little bit more op- optimistic about the Bengals. And that's just because I don't know. I, I have faith in Joe Burrow. I have faith in, that offense, if again, if they can get that offensive line to be better, they they have they've proven that they've had that they have the defense. Um, I don't think that their defense was like, I guess I don't I don't think it was fluky any at any point throughout the the playoffs. I actually think that it was a lot better than people. Again, I, I said this last time. I think their defense is a lot better than people gave them credit for, and I think it's they somehow like stepped it up five notches in the playoffs right when you need to step it up. So that's that was something that we saw from them that I was actually pretty happy about. And I think that obviously if they can keep those same guys coming back, Trey Hendrickson, you know, um, Jesse Bates and uh, Von Bell and all those guys, like they, they're going to be fine. I think that secondary really stepped up, especially in the Super Bowl. Like I said, they, I think they were playing really well. They were causing Matt Stafford to hold the ball for, for a long time. Um, and so that's, yeah, that's kind of where I'm at with them. And then the Rams. Yeah basically until Matt Stafford leaves, like Matt said, I think that they're going to be really good as well. They, um, one thing, one interesting, and again, like this is kind of, this is up in the air right now, but one thing that I think will really hinder them is if Aaron Donald does retire, because that's like that whole D line is just going to be so much worse without Aaron Donald, because we know Aaron Donald either attracts a double team or he's getting a sack or he's doing both. (laughs) It's like, one of those three things is going to happen. And that that's all really good for your team, because if he attracts a double team or even a triple team, sometimes then your other guys are going to be one-on-one or come in free or whatever. Um, and then if he's not being double team, then he's beating his man one-on-one literally every single time. So it's like, it's yeah. He, having him on your D line is just changes the game so much. Um, and, and we definitely saw that obviously when, when it mattered most in the, in the end of the Super Bowl, so yeah, that's that's how I feel on that topic. I guess if we're all done with Super, I mean, we've spent like forty, almost forty-five minutes on the Super Bowl, so that was really cool because I didn't think it was going to last that long. But uh, but yeah, let's let's move into PGA here. So Scotty Scheffler ended up pulling out the dub at the Waste Management of Phoenix Open um, after playing three playoff holes against Patrick Cantlay. Now, weirdly enough, this is Scheffler's first tour win ever, but he's he's gotten super close in like a lot of other um, tournaments before this. You know, he's coming second in a lot. And I think he's coming third in, in, in a few. And so even though he's come super close to winning so many times prior to this weekend, he, you know, he just hasn't really been able to get it done. And finally this weekend, he was able to get it done in kind of dramatic fashion in the third playoff hole. So let's kind of just, talk here about some Scotty Scheffler. I know Matt probably has more to say on him because he he's been watching or he's been into golf kind of in 
he's been like really into golf more than I've been really into golf, I guess, or longer than I've been into golf. So let's talk about Scotty Scheffler kind of talk about his history. I know Matt probably has a lot of information on like some weird stuff about his career. Maybe he can give some, some stuff about that. Um, And then let's also kind of just preview the Genesis open that's being played at Riviera country club in California this coming weekend, which kind of rounds out the whole, the stretch of like the West coast tournaments, because they're pretty much every single tournament up until this point has been played either in Hawaii or California. So let's kind of talk about, you know, what, um, where Scotty Scheffler is at, where we think that he might be going in the future with maybe winning some more, um, some more tour wins here on the, in the, in the upcoming, up, upcoming weeks. And then let's talk about the, the Genesis open. Yeah. So it was, <laughs> I mean, it was a good end to the waste management. I think that, you know, probably the, the, the undercovered story here, especially because the playoff was between Patrick Hanley and Scotty Scheffler, who are two of the best golfers in the world is Sahith Tagala. Come on. So first of all, he was, he was basically a stone cold lock to be the first round leader um, on Thursday. And then he basically like, he, he was on, he was on 17 and he hit like a shot or whatever. And so they called it, they like, like they called the round or whatever. They made him finish the next day and he had like a put for par and he shanked it. He bogeyed the 17th. He goes to the 18th. He bogeys the 18th. And it's like, dude, like you just completely ruined this guy's momentum. Didn't happen actually, because he ended up being the leader after 36 holes and 54 holes after that. Um, and then, and then pretty much just lost it in the last couple holes at the end, which is, it's just to be expected. I mean, it, you know, that happens when you're new to golf and you, you know, you got a lead and you don't really know. And so, but he's a guy who is, um, he was on the Corn Ferry tour last year and, and kind of, he's not even actually a full he's not even, he's not, he doesn't even have his, his tour card, uh, yet, uh, you know, to kind of be a full, full-fledged member of the PGA. Um, but he's already competed in, I think 11 events at, or, and like of the 11 events, he's been the 50 hole, 54 hole leader in, in, I think like two or three of them. So he, he's definitely one to watch and, and will be good. And obviously he'll get his PGA tour card and, and he'll be, he'll be a regular competitor here. Um, but yeah, but he's, you know, he's this kid out of Pepperdine. He's like 24. Uh, he's really young and, and his game is really good. He, he's really good at kind of everything, which is what you look for when it comes to guys that can win majors, guys that can win these kind of bigger tournaments at these tougher courses, a la what we're going to get at Riviera uh, this weekend. But anyway, so yeah. So the whole Scotty, she- Scotty Sheffler thing is really interesting because like, he's just been one of those guys that is just, and so, again, he's, I think 25, I think 25 or 26 um, as well. So again, his whole career ahead of him, but just like kind of one of those guys that's always shown great flashes. And, and again, has a wide range of skill sets. He's not, he's not lacking in any, any areas. Um, he's long off the tees, everything that you want in a good golfer, but, but really like has never been able to close the door. He's always kind of been near the top. He's backdoored himself and himself into some top tens um, and some top fives over the, you know, over the years. Um, he was a he was a, a a a very kind of you know influential member of the Ryder Cup team back in the fall you know when when the USA had that you know huge win over Europe in the Ryder Cup um, you know he he basically single handedly beat John Rahm in like the kind of the deciding match uh, or well it wasn't really deciding but it was like 
Europe kind of could have gotten gotten closer and made it competitive. But, but Scotty Scheffler was just he was he had ice in his veins, and he he you know he he definitely he, he kind of got the best of John Rahm in that sense. So yeah, definitely really happy for Scotty Scheffler to get his first PGA Tour win again. It was going to come at some point, but it, you know probably best to kind of get it over with now because it's, it's one of those things that like once you get your first win done, you can kind of you know you you got you got you'll get some momentum. You, you've been there before. You've won it, especially in a playoff scenario. So like that's kind of the cool part about this win is like he'll he's good for for a lot more wins now to come the best part about it was that it was over Patrick Cantlay who like dude this guy I don't know you got to respect his game because he's one of the best in the world the best probably right now because literally wherever they play it doesn't matter he's always at the top of the leaderboard he's always about to win a tournament and he always wins playoffs whenever a tournament goes to a playoff he's there he wins it um and it was so funny because after all that we were kind of seeing when it came to Scotty Scheffler was that like, he basically whenever he's in it at the end, he chokes. Right. And, and Patrick Cantley's on the opposite side where it's like, whenever he's in it at the end and he has a chance to win, he's going to do it. Cause he's, you know, he's, he's cold like that. So, so that was kind of the narrative was like when this playoff started and obviously it was, it was kind of funny with the timing and stuff because the playoff uh, you know, the play at the end of the tournament and the playoff basically started right when the Super Bowl did. Um, and so you had all these people switching over their, you know, switching over their TVs from, from, from golf to the Super Bowl. Um, but yeah, but definitely good, a good, a great story for Scotty Sheffield to get this win. And especially over someone like Patrick Hanley, who just always closes out so, so well. Um, and uh, yeah. And so then kind of, uh, well, Aiden, do you have thoughts on the, on the, on the, on the least management or do you want to kind of get into the Riviera here? I mean, yeah, I, I, I kind of the, the same thing as you, I think that, if there is one tournament to to win kind of early on in the year here, it's, it's the waste management open. And that's, that's because like, it's like we said on, on Saturday, it's just like such a wacky tournament and it's, it's one of the more well-known ones across, you know, across the year. Um, and again, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be one to remember because there were so many things that happened that were like, so insane. I mean, there was two hole in ones on that whole six on uh, hole number 16. And so people are going to remember it for that. And then like, obviously, you know, Scotty Scheffler winning his first, his first tournament there. So yeah, again, it's, it's like, if there was one to win so far, it was probably this one. Um, and of course, you know, where they played TPC Scottsdale, it's, it's a, it's a great course there. Um, and I think it's actually like, I'm pretty sure it's like pretty, I, I don't know if this is right. I think I looked it up. Um, or maybe this was another, another course that I was looking at, but I was looking at a course, maybe this is the, the Riviera course. It's like, um, to be a guest, it's like it's like not that much to play there. I, it's either it's either TPC Scottsdale. It's it's probably not there because I think that I think TBC indicates that it's like very expensive. But I think it's the Riviera where you can play there for like kind of cheap. I mean, not cheap, but like cheaper than most courses on tour. I don't I don't know. I I think Riviera is a really tough course. And it's in California and everything. I, I think that I mean, maybe look it up, but like I'm pretty sure. That, and yeah, you said TPC. I get it. But like I would think that a golf course in Scottsdale, Arizona is a lot probably easier to get into than one of those like respected yeah. ones in California. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, yeah, but whatever, <laughs> disregard that. So um, yeah, I, I, again, kind of happy for shot for Scotty Scheffler. And, and yeah, like Matt said, Patrick Hanley, he's just been going crazy recently. And he, of course he's, it, it was really weird to, to kind of see him um, not really choke. I, I think, and again, like I was watching the Super Bowl when this happened, but I went in, I went back into my kitchen to get some food and that's where, and we still had the golf on in there. And so that's where I saw, um, I think it was their, I know it was the third playoff hole and they were on the green. And I think it was like, 
I think Scotty Scheffler might have sunk the long putt for birdie, and then um, and then Patrick Cantlay had a two putt for par, or it was either that or or Scotty Scheffler had a, just a two putt for par, and then and then somehow like um, Patrick Cantlay, who putted from basically the same distance that that Scotty Scheffler did, he had um, a three putt. It was it was either one of those, but obviously Scotty Scheffler came out with the win, and it was it was all good from there. But yeah, Matt, you can. Uh, you can go ahead and start talking about Riviera if you want. Yeah, it's it's one of these very it's it's a tough course. Um it's it's you know, it's it's long, it's it's the rough is 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 very penalizing. Um you have I think the grass types is kind of what makes this course a really really interesting kind of compared to the other ones. Um yeah, you 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 clicked on this podcast wanting to listen about grass types at Riviera Country Club. I know you did. Um, you have Kakuya roughs, all right. So the Kakuya roughs are very stern and and they stand up tall. And so the ball, when it you know, kind of when the ball gets stuck in it, it's tough to hit out of because it's kind of sitting on top. So you kind of have to have an upward, you know, kind of an upward, uh, you know slanting swing um so for, as an example of this someone like justin johnson he's really he has his swing kind of he comes up when he's when he's kind of following through his backswing um which kind of makes the ball go higher but it's easier to hit off of kakuya rough like this whereas brooks kepka for example swings down at the ball and so he doesn't play well out of kakuya rough um and that's kind of just one of those you know one of those kind of quirks about this course that makes it tough right it makes it tough the other thing and and kind of going along with the rough type of deal is like with a lot of these holes you kind of are hitting it it it, it probably you know the fairway will carry like 330 yards um and then kind of right at the end of that you have a big patch of thick kakuya rough right before you get to the green and so for these long hitters you're going to want to almost you know maybe even club down in some cases kind of lay up hit it so that you know you can kind of get a shot out of the fairway onto the green uh instead of kind of you know trying to carry as far as you can and and, then you know smack the crap out of the ball and then up in the rough and then you know you're you're next thing you know you're your three putting for bogey. So um, I think that's kind of where we're ending up with in terms of the, and obviously on the greens themselves, they're uh, Poa and a, a grass type, which is very bumpy. It's tough. It's specific to the West coast. So a lot of the, a lot of the recent tracks that we've seen played on. So, you know, so like, like Pebble beach at the Amex, you know, you have your, you, your tour pines, us open, uh, you know, farmers insurance tournaments there. Those are all Poa Anna greens. And so when you have this Poa grass, it's, it's, it's bumpy. It's tough to put on. It's obvious. It's, it's also very susceptible to wind. And so if you have wind kind of, you know, blowing at these courses, if you're, if you're putting the ball on the greens, the wind will actually blow it and, and, and almost force it to go off course. There was a, there was a crazy uh, Jordan Spieth putt you know, a few years ago here where he, you know, he was putting for almost for the wind. And then it, basically the wind just blew his putt out of the way uh, and he ended up bogeying the hole. So so anyway, I would think com- com- comparable courses to Riviera, honestly, like the best comp I have is Augusta National, which like, so you'll see a lot of the kind of the same players who have won green jackets do well here at Riviera. So obviously last year you had Max Homa win. He beat Tony Finau in a playoff. Um, two guys that obviously grew up on the West coast and are familiar with, with the grass types and kind of the way that these courses run. So not surprising that that ended up as it did. Um, But you have, you know, Bubba Watson has won the masters twice. He's won here. Adam Scott's won the masters. He's won here twice. Dustin Johnson's won this thing. I think three times he won the masters uh, in the 2020 November, you know, the fall masters in 2020. So like you, you have a lot of, you know, guys kind of classical guys that you've seen do well at Augusta and other kind of, 
typical majors that that uh, you know that kind of have this similar core style will be doing well here. You have obviously you know Xander Shoffley and Patrick Cantley who like haven't won a ton of majors, but are obviously you know born on the West Coast, born and raised, been playing on West Coast courses their whole life, used to the Poa and the Greens, all that type of stuff. So they're going to kind of be your competitors this week, similar a little bit to what our leaderboard looked a little bit like at the Phoenix. But I think that, you know, th- this is kind of one of your classic, tough California golf courses. It's it's one of the best events all year in terms of just like how much it really, you know, how much it takes for the golfers to do well here. Um so yeah, I know that's more that you than you ever wanted to know about Riviera and and the comp courses and the guys who will do well here. But hey, you know what? Again, like I said in the beginning, we follow the sports to give you guys the information to be able to go out there and 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 do whatever you want with it. So that's that's kind of our preview for Riviera. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be an amazing tournament. It's one of the most stacked tournaments of the entire season. It's basically it's basically its own major. I would think that you know that you have the four majors, you have the players, and then you pretty much have uh, you know you pretty much have the have Riviera uh, this weekend. You have pretty much every top golfer in the world is competing uh you know the prize money's increased so there's more incentive to win this it, it's going to be really great i definitely encourage you to on the first week with, weekend without football since like literally the first week of august um you know de- definitely indulge yourself in some re- golf at riviera oh sorry are you done uh are you done talking about grass at the genesis open Matt? yeah i had to wake hayden up there after he fell asleep with my uh, with my grass talk yeah, it, it, that might have sounded really weird on recording. I'm going to have to listen to that back <laughs> like because it sounded like a regular snore in person, but maybe on the recording it probably didn't. Um, but yeah. All right. So moving into fun segment here, we've got our March Madness draft. We've got. Yes. Sorry. I just kind of blank there in my in my brain. But uh, yeah. Yeah. We've got March Madness draft in celebration of March Madness being about a month away, we, I think Selection Sunday w- was a month away starting la- or this past Sunday. So, yes, Selection Sunday is about a month away. We are going to take turns picking teams who we think will make the Final Four this year. And then – so we're going to do a snake draft back and forth. It's just going to be, you know, obviously, like if Matt starts out, which I'll, I'll let Matt start out, okay? I'll, I'll be nice and let Matt start out on this. So Matt will go first and then I'll go second and then I'll take the third pick and he'll go fourth. He'll go fifth. And then, yeah. So, so on snake, regular snake draft. And um, we're each going to pick eight teams um, that we think are going to, that have a good chance of making it to the final four. I'm sure there are going to be some upsets in here, some teams that are kind of expected to do so. So yeah. Um, And then we're going to, we're going to grade those teams when it comes March madness time. Um, and when we have the final four teams set up after the, you know, the first three or four rounds of the tournament, um, then we're going to grade our, we're going to come back to our picks that we made today. And we're going to grade those based on the teams that actually made the final four in beginning of April or end of March or whenever that is. So with that being said, I'm going to hand it over to Matt here to make the number one pick. Well, as much as we have uh, kind of disparaged and put down Gonzaga in the past on all these podcasts and everything, I have to do it simply because they're going to get the number. They have 
the odds on like it's just everything works in their favor to get the number one overall seed and usually what happens is the number one overall seed that's the one on the top left they get kind of the quote-unquote easier path um to the final four so if we're picking final four teams i'm gonna go gonzaga because i know that they're not gonna lose another game here for the rest of the rest of the regular season and the conference tournament they're gonna go into the to the uh to march madness with a you know with basically a 32 and one record um and uh yeah and so that's that's my first pick Alrighty, sounds good. With my next pick, this is this is kind of the boring part because we're kind of going conservative here because it's our top pick. So why wouldn't you go conservative? My next my next pick is going to be Arizona, um, and and I think that's a good pick because they are atop the the Pac-12 right now. They're thirteen and zero at home. At home, I know that doesn't really matter that much, but there are some teams in here that have lost at home that shouldn't have lost at home. Um, and so that's kind of one thing that, that I err on the side of like being good is, is that a team can kind of stay consistent and, and keep their kind of ride off of um, right off of momentum and emotion, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Obviously they won't be playing at home at all in the tournament, but I think that being able to win all your games at home is, is, is one thing that um, that kind of leads you to, being confident in games that you're up in being confident in kind of playing with emotion. Like I said, um, that's something that kind of hinders some teams in a way. If you're playing off of too much emotion you're kind of too hyped for a game, sometimes that can kind of like mess you up a little bit during the game. But I think that having that home field advantage and having that atmosphere where you're like, just super, you know, you're just like electrocuting yourself basically with the crowd. Um, I think that's, that's a, that's a good sign that they've won all their home games that they can kind of handle the pressure of, of winning in that situation. So I'm going to go Arizona as my first pick. Um, now moving on to my second pick and the third overall pick, this is a, it's kind of tough. And I think that I'm going to, yeah. Okay. So I'm going to go, I'm going to go Kentucky because again, they've kind of, yeah, I, I stole Matt's pick there because and, and he kind of convinced me last episode with his kind of with his little tangent about Kentucky and how they're just like they're just getting better as the season goes on. And John Calipari does the same thing every year where he just like turns all these kids that have no chemistry at the beginning of the season, all these, you know, McDonald's um, McDonald's All-Americans that are freshmen and probably going to be one and dones. He turns all these guys into like guys that can actually play together um, towards the end of the season. And that's what we would like to see with March Madness. Now there is one thing I'd like to say, and that's, that's that basically like Kentucky hasn't really done well in the past few tournaments, which is kind of weird to see because again, they usually are like this huge powerhouse. Um, But like the SEC dude, the SEC this year in basketball, we all know is just so, so good. And um, I don't have it pulled up right now. What their um, what their in conference record is but their overall record is 21 and four so and I, I don't really know who they've lost to but yeah if you play in the sec and you have that good of a record you've got to be you've got to be a good strong candidate for the final four so that's what i'm going to with with at three okay we're going to have to start probably ripping through these a little bit quicker yeah uh, as much as we want to give descriptions of how good these mm-hmm. teams are we will have all of march to do that um yeah. it's going to be a tough pick for me this time i got i got gonzaga i'm gonna I'm going to go back to the big 10. I feel like they're being a little bit more underrated this year than they were last year. Um, and I'm going to go with Purdue. I think they're, I think they're just huge and, and it's tough to defend them. So, so I'm going to, I'm going to pick Purdue as my second pick. Alrighty. Um, I'm going to go with my, so 
This is my third well, pick. It's, it's my actually my next. Oh wait, yeah, sorry. Yeah, because that's how we're. It's only two of us doing a snake draft. You know, we're just chilling here. But anyway, yeah, um, my next pick is. Um, I mean, I guess I'll probably just take. I'll probably just take Auburn. I think that. I mean, obviously, we've talked about how good the SEC has been this year, and whereas kind of LSU and Alabama have been kind of suffering a little bit as of, as of recently, Auburn. Despite their loss to uh, to Arkansas, it was an overtime. It was at Arkansas. I think they still are the class of the SEC. Alrighty, my next pick. Um, I'm probably gonna go with with Kansas again. It's it's kind of we're kind of just going down the list of of the um the top ranked teams right now. But one thing that I was I was gonna I was actually gonna go Baylor, but um, uh, what's his name? Two. It's like Chura Chura. To, I forget. I don't even know how to pronounce his name, but it's it's the guy for Baylor. It's like they're big who just got hurt and he like tore his knee. I mean, he basically like bent his knee the wrong way just running. Um, and so he just got hurt really bad. He's going to be out for the rest of the season. So I think that Kansas might coast through the Big 12. Um, and I think they're going to win that conference tournament there because Baylor, they're not not a contender at this point, but they're, you know, much less of a contender in the big 12 tournament. And so I think Kansas is going to win that big 12 tournament and have a lot of momentum from that. And then, and then get to the final four from there. So that's going to be my, um, my third pick. And then my fourth pick, I think I'm going to, I think I'm going to go, I'm going to go Illinois on this one. And this, this is kind of going out on a limb here, but, um, but I think that last year, like Illinois kind of got, I think they're going to have some, some vengeance from last year because they're going to want to, prove that they aren't just kind of a, a team that's good, that looks good during the regular season kind of chokes during, during the tournament. Um, they got beat by Loyola Chicago in that crazy game. And Loyola Chicago is known for giving really good teams, um, you know, a, a run for their money and upsetting them early on in the tournament. So I think that Illinois is going to come back with vengeance here and uh, make the final four this year. Okay. So um, I'm going to, I'm going to kind of just rattle off my next two just teams that I think are solid and well, let's put it this way. So I'm going to pick Duke because I just think that again, they have the best chance because that, because the ACC is so bad, they have a really good chance of just winning out, winning the conference tournament, getting the one seed and having a, you know, basically an easy path to the final four that way. Um, it would also, it's also coach K's last year. So, you know, they have a lot of motivation there too. And then Texas tech is going to be my next pick um, kind of skipping over Baylor here in terms of the rankings of the big 12, but Texas tech is just so solid. They play well on the road that, you know, somehow like they lost their coach and they lost like two of the best players and they're still like a top 10 team. It's crazy. Um, but they just have a lot of good athletes there. And, and I think that they're going to, they, they definitely have the making of a team. That's just like, you won't see it coming, but they'll make it to the final four. So I'm going to take, I'm going to take with my next two picks here. I got, uh, I got Texas tech and I got Duke. All right. My next two picks here are going to be, this is for five and six, right? For both of us. This or is your fifth. Yes. I just picked my fifth. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. This is my fifth. Um, so for, for five and six, I'm going to go, um, I'm going to go Texas and then I'm going to go Tennessee. Now, again, this another big, big, tw- all right. So yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go Texas at five and then you, and then sorry. Um, oh, wait, Tennessee at six and Tennessee, again, kind of a sleeper there in the sec. They're going to be a contender because they're in the sec and they have such a tough schedule. Um, and then, yeah. And then Texas, they beat Kansas and that was a pretty big win. Again, it was at home, but they still beat Kansas. So that's, that's a huge win there. Um, and I, I think that kind of, you know, Shaka smart, I think Shaka smart is still there, right. At, at Texas. 
No, he's at Marquette now. Oh, yeah. Chris Be- so that was the saying. Chris yes. Beard was the Texas Tech coach, and Chris Beard left Texas Tech to go to yes. Texas. And now, and then Shaka Smart went to Marquette. Yeah. So, again, I, well, I kind of just screwed that up, but there goes my reasoning. But uh, yeah, I, I, I feel like Texas can do it. They've, they, they've proven that they can beat a big team. So, there you go. They're going to the Final Four. Okay, so I have seven pick, or I have five picks. My sixth and seventh pick. I'm gonna go. I mean, why not? I'm gonna pick UCLA. Like they made it to the Final Four last year. I get it. They were an 11 seed, and then obviously this year they've had some injuries. They've also had some losses where they shouldn't have really lost the game. But they have the and they brought back everyone. So like everyone that's playing on their team right now has already been to the Final Four. They know what it takes. I feel like they can do it again. Um, and so I'm gonna take the value there with UCLA. I'm also gonna take Michigan State with my seventh pick. Just because they've shown flashes this year, they haven't. I mean, obviously they've suffered a bunch of losses too. Um, they're 18 and six right now, so it's not a typical kind of like Michigan State top 10 team. But again, like Tom Izzo always gets his guys ready for March. They, you know, they're always going to be the mix for at least an, an elite eight appearance. And so I'm going to take UCLA and Michigan State as my sixth and seventh pick. All right. I don't know if I agree with that UCLA pick, but I'll let you slide there. I'm going to go for my. Um, for my seventh and eighth picks, I'm going to to round out my draft here. I'm going to go USC at seven because UFC, I mean, not UFC, USC, meaning South California or Southern California, um, Pac-12. Yeah, they're, you know, good conference this year. And um, and even though they lost, you know, some some good players to the um, to the NBA draft last year, they're still showing that they can kind of sustain a, a good team. They're 21 and four, which I thought that they were, that their record was a little bit worse than that, but yeah, 21 and four, 11 and two at home, which is a little bit iffy. Um, that's one of the, you know, one of the worst, I guess, kind of home records in, in the top 25 right now, but we'll let it slide. And then my eighth pick, my final pick is kind of an outlier here. I'm going to go Alabama. They've had some struggles lately, like Matt said, but I do think that, Alabama, Alabama has so far, I think they have the, the number one strength of schedule. Um, so yes, they are 16 and nine, but there's a reason that they're in the top 25 with nine losses. And that's because their strength of schedule is insane. So yep. They're in the sec. Like I've said for pretty much all my other teams, um, you know, they I'm, I'm really high on the sec this year. I think everybody should be. And so I'm, I'm bound to get at least like one or two of of um of these of these SEC teams in the in the turn in the final four. Hopefully, I don't know, but I think Alabama um is is a good upset pick here. Yeah, Alabama can definitely make a run. I mean, they are they have beaten Gonzaga and Baylor. They have the two best wins of any college basketball team in the country, and it's going to stay that way. Nobody's going to get uh, wins like those. So yeah, Alabama is definitely definitely a solid pick, despite kind of having all the losses that they do. My final five, my final pick is Baylor. I didn't think I would get them at sixteen here, the last pick of the last pick of the draft. I know that as I mentioned, you know their 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 guy went down, but they're deep. I think that's kind of the biggest thing that about this team is like you have random players who are just coming in and and, and making plays um so so yeah so i'm gonna go with baylor just because they're you know they're still in the top 10 and they're still available now um so yeah so those are the 16 teams obviously you know we kind of skipped over a few like you know no representation from the big east we got two teams in the big east are in the top 10 this this uh this this week with providence and and villain of providence dude they haven't lost a home game they are they are on a roll um and getting no credit for it so uh so you know kind of would love to see a run from them that would be great but you know just kind of feel like the competition in the big east just isn't really where isn't really where it should be or or is kind of to at least engender enough hope in us for to kind of pick them as a final four team so um that 
that. And then, uh, yeah. So I think, I think it was a solid draft though. I think we, we kind of covered most of the good teams and then obviously we'll kind of, we'll come up with a little scoring system, maybe do like one point for each team that reaches it, or maybe, maybe a little, maybe put a little money on the money on the line, get a little five bucks a team or something. We'll see. We'll see how we want to do it. But, uh, but other than that, that pretty much closes out the show. Yeah, actually, funny that you mentioned Providence and Villanova. They're actually playing right now, and uh, Villanova's up by seven, 46 to 39 at half. So, and I think, uh, I think Providence is, is at home. So that might be, mm, that, that's something to watch here. I'm going to probably turn that on right when we, right as we uh, turn off this Zoom call. Yeah, there you go. But um, yeah, really good draft there. I was, I was happy with how it turned out. Again, it, it was kind of a last minute decision. We, we switched it from, um, we switched it from your wrong man of the week to March Madness draft, like right at the end there. So we, if, if we sounded a little unsure about our picks, that's why, because we had like literally half an hour to kind of research our stuff. But, um, but yeah, um, good stuff there. We're, we're actually not going to get to Olympics because we're already like <laughs> longer than usual here with this one. Um, and that was, that's because of our, our Super Bowl talk, but again, that's, it's, it's better to have that problem. It's, it's, it's a good problem to have, going over rather than under. I like having, you know, more substance to, to our podcasts and kind of more for you guys to hear from us because you guys love to hear our voices, I'm sure. So, um, yeah, with that being said, thank you guys for listening. We will be back on Saturday with our, with our um, Saturday episode. It should be fine to do it Saturday. Again, we kind of messed up this past Saturday with not being able to do it until Sunday, but we still got it to you guys on Sunday. Um, so it's kind of a, a short window here between the Sunday and Tuesday episodes, but we'll be back to regular schedule this coming Saturday and we'll get that episode out to you guys. Then um, I'm not really sure what we're going to have then, but I'm sure some college basketball and possibly, I guess, yeah, possibly some golf too. So, um, so yeah, that'll be fun. And then we'll probably do some Olympics Olympics talk then too. So with that being said, hope you guys have a great rest of the week and we'll catch you guys on Saturday. 